Amen. Well, thank you, worship team. Thank you so much for leading us uh, in song as we praise our God together. Um, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you for joining us here at Nowood. Um, my name is Matt. I am the worship and family director here at Nowood. Uh, and what a privilege it is this morning to teach from God's word uh, as we continue our series of Marks of a Healthy Church, um, how God defines a healthy church. Uh, so far, Pastor Nate's gone through expository preaching, uh, which is preaching what God has said uh, by his word, not coming to it with our own agenda, um, and then also touching on uh, the gospel, uh, that the gospel needs to be central in our church, and uh, it's important for us to uh, preach the true gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, that Christ died for our sins and rose again. <clears throat> and that those who repent and believe that Jesus is Lord, uh, the need that for that one true gospel, that the gospel is to be central in all that we do. And so I hope that you've been challenged, uh, that you've been encouraged and filled with a passion to serve Christ in this way, to become a healthier church uh, and that you've been changed by God's word. <clears throat> this morning, we'll be looking at the mark of biblical theology. Uh, we'll look at what it is, the importance of having this guide as we come uh, to God's word, and how we can properly do biblical theology as a church. Now, if you were like me, theology was probably not a word that brought a bunch of zeal and excitement to you when you heard it, you know. Yay, theology, right? Maybe that's not your reaction. <clears throat> um, I've always had this kind of idea that theology's purpose was to develop your ideas and understanding so that you could debate with anyone uh, who opposed your ideas or beliefs. Um, a lot of theologians I encountered were often stuck up and not very loving. They would often just tell people that they're wrong and this is why. Um, and it really put me off of theology. Um, I've been more laid back and chill and not really liking confrontation uh, or voicing my opinion very loudly, wanted no part of this sort of uh, debating about God. So I often kept to myself and away from those people in theology. Uh, I, can, I continued down this path of wrong thinking of theology, though, thinking uh, that theology really wasn't for me. That was for those smarter people, right? Those people who really wanted to study deep into uh, all these different aspects of God and the Bible and uh, religion. I just need to know that I was saved by Jesus, and I'm good to go for the rest of my life, right? Um, but there actually is a lot, <laughs> there's a lot more to that, right? That is obviously central, but there's a lot more to that. Uh, in doing so, I didn't realize that my theology of God and of the gospel and of the Bible and how um, I was to live and worship God were actually getting tainted by my own feelings and my own experiences and my own opinions of what I thought uh, made sense, what I thought was right, um, <clears throat> and I thought God should do or be like. Uh, I'd look at the Bible as this, make me feel better, you know, give me some encouragement. Uh, that's a really nice verse. I like what that says. This kind of makes me uncomfortable. I'm not so sure about that. Um, and so I would really resonate with the stuff I agreed with or liked and would kind of pass by the stuff that made me uncomfortable. And I realized that I was actually building my own religion and my own God. This was sinful and wrong, and I had no idea that I was even doing that. All this while, I was living a false gospel, and my life actually reflected it. 
And so this understanding actually began to change when I, intend, I attended what was a required course when I was at Prairie on theology, uh, which I was sort of slightly against. I didn't want to do it, um, but it was required, so I did it anyway. And it was called God of the Gospel. The second day of class, uh, it wasn't the first day because, uh, as students know, the first day of class is the most boring and stressful day because they just go over all the assignments and papers that you have to do uh, within the next couple months, and that's it. And you're like, great, this is exciting. I'm looking forward to all this. <laughs> so on the second day, which is when you actually got into class uh, and actually got into uh, the teaching, my theology professor began the class by explaining the actual purpose of theology in our life. It wasn't just to know the right stuff so that you can say you're right and others are wrong. Um, but here's what he said, and I'll quote him exactly because he says a lot better than I did. Um, the aim of ministry of the word is to present Jesus as he truly is through, he, through his words of eternal life, which is the whole of scripture, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that one may be drawn into the profoundly transformative reality of the sonship of Christ in his human nature, and come to genuinely know God as Father by receiving the word of life in faith. And so what he's saying there is that theology is to help bring us into closer relationship with God by helping us see Christ and helping us see God in his right character and nature throughout all of Scripture. And that it's truly through the Son of God, through Christ and through his sacrifice that we can come to know God and how God reveals himself throughout Scripture of who he is, of his nature, and it all points to Christ. And so we need to ask the question of how we know God, right? And so biblical theology is that sound doctrine, those right thoughts and understanding of God um, that accords with Scripture and becomes the guideline that ultimately comes to the story of Christ and what he did and who he was. And so growing in my biblical theology was more than just knowing stuff. It was a guide to help me grow in my relationship with Christ uh, through right understanding of who God is and how he revealed himself in Scripture. We get it directly from the source. He tells us who he is. And by reading scripture with the whole story in mind um, and seeing how each part fits into this whole uh, narrative, it's ultimately pointing to Christ. And so I hope uh, this creates maybe a need in your heart to also understand biblical theology if that's not something that you've really thought about was a part of Christian life, was a part of our walk with God. Uh, but before we dig deep into biblical theology, let me just pray for us um, as we look at this together. Let me pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, God, you are holy, you are creator, you are sovereign, you are just, and you are a loving God. May we know you rightly and not make for ourselves a false religion, a false God, or a false gospel. Uh, help me to speak truthfully from your word as a faithful servant, saved by your grace and by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, that your spirit would uh, help me speak to the hearts of your people and reveal what you have already revealed in your scripture from your word. Um, what you said about who you are and who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, and how we are to live in accordance of that God. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and help us to uh, understand uh, more deeply who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I kind of touched it on a bit, but let me help define what biblical theology is a little bit more. 
So to know God, we must study that main source of how he's revealed himself to us. Uh, to truthfully know and better understand his character, and that is only through his word. And so biblical theology is getting our understanding of God's nature and character uh, and ways from what he's revealed to us through his word, the Bible, and ultimately seeing the whole of Scripture as pointing to Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done, that Jesus is the hero of the story. <clears throat> if you turn, to me to, uh, turn with me to Second. Timothy 3, uh, we'll be looking at verses 14 and 17. I'll give you a little bit of time to turn there. All right, so 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Uh, it says, But as for you, uh, continue in what you have done uh, and what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how your childhood has been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. <clears throat> and so in 2 Timothy, this uh, 2 Timothy was a letter from Paul uh, who was teaching and uh, guiding Timothy uh, in Christ, in uh, the Word of God, uh, teaching him as he leads his own church. Uh, and this letter actually to Timothy was from Paul as he was awaiting execution. Paul, has, uh, we know, has gone through uh, many struggles and difficulties, and he's writing to Timothy to uh, tell him to just continue in what he has been taught by Paul, what he has been taught uh, through the scriptures, um, that Paul had been firm uh, in the scriptures and teaching Tim, uh, Timothy. And that from childhood, uh, Timothy has been learning this, and he's uh, encouraging Timothy to see that all of the scripture is uh, to help him to understand uh, that salvation in Christ Jesus uh, is what all the scripture is pointing to. Um, Paul exhorted Timothy to continue what he had learned and believed, uh, that uh, for him to be wise for salvation was through faith in Christ Jesus, and that all Scripture was breathed out by God and was able to teach and to reprove and correct and train uh, those, uh, himself and those in the church, that they would be welcome to do what God has willed for them. And so Scripture leads us to Christ and teaches us God's character and nature and his will for his church. If you turn with me now to Luke 24, we can also see that Jesus himself reveals this truth. Uh, so in Luke 24, uh, verses 25 to 27, uh, Jesus, this is after Jesus uh, was resurrected, um, and some of his disciples were walking along the road and talking about all these things that had just happened, of Christ being crucified, of Christ being resurrected. And so it says, Luke 24, verses 25 to 27, uh, and he said to them, so Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, hard to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should have these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then Jesus continue, continues on later uh, with some other disciples uh, uh, after he was rose, risen from the dead. 
in verses 44 to 48, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses to these things. And so it's concerning to me that there are some that believe that the Old Testament is not even needed uh, anymore. When within the New Testament, Jesus reveals himself in those Old Testament scriptures. Uh, to those disciples that he was interacting with, opening their eyes to see and to teach that from Scripture we are getting pointed to Christ and what he has done, that that is how we can truly come to know God's nature and how God reveals himself in that. If we believe that God truly inspired the Bible and that it is uh, inerrant, that it's without any error, then it w- would it not make sense for us to want our theology to all be rooted biblically? Right? Of course we would. This, thing, this seems like a pretty obvious thing, but uh, like my own personal story that I, just, uh, that I shared at the beginning, um, it can often, we can often bring in our own opinions and our own thoughts and our own feelings into how we interpret Scripture and how we interpret how God has revealed himself. Uh, and so we can begin to miss the point uh, of how God has revealed himself to us in sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so biblical theology is sound doctrine. It is right thoughts about God. Uh, It is belief that accords with Scripture and ultimately points to Jesus. Uh, It is the guide for when we come to Scripture. It's the roadmap that leads us to Christ every time. If we do not see the Bible as this big story and we begin to lose focus of what the Bible reveals and is pointing to, we begin to focus on only what we like and agree with and begin to ignore the parts that challenge us or make us uncomfortable or disagree with. And so biblical theology leads us to ask the question every time, what does the Bible say? How does God reveal himself? And how is it pointing us to Christ? Uh, In uh, Nexus Youth, uh, on Tuesdays, we've been teaching and talking about who God is uh, to just give us a foundation of uh, the characteristics of God and who he is. Um, and there are five aspects that come up that kind of uh, go over all these aspects so you can continue to uh, choose different aspects of, of God. Uh, it's unending, right? But there's sort of five that uh, we cover, and it's that God is creator, that God is holy, that God is just, that he is loving, and that he is sovereign. <clears throat> and so let's, uh, I want us to look a bit at one of these characteristics that we can kind of understand how biblical theology helps guide us and lead us to see uh, who God truly is and how it can often get twisted. And so uh, let us turn to Isaiah uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And we'll go through this, and we can see uh, this one characteristic of God's holiness in this chapter. And so it starts, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. This is Isaiah uh, from his vision that he had in in chapter 6. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. 
Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. I won't read all that chapter, but God continues to commission Isaiah as a prophet to basically tell the Israelites that judgment is coming, uh, and ultimately that they won't listen until finally they'll be brought into exile uh, because of uh, other enemy nations coming in to destroy them. Yet a holy shoot will spring from uh, the cut-down stump, the cut-down city of Jerusalem. Uh, Messiah will come from there. And so in this passage of Scripture in Isaiah, we can clearly see God is holy and just. It says it right in there. That he is high above us, on the throne, perfect and pure, and judges evil rightly and fairly according to his holy moral standards. He is holy and perfect, and we are not. We have sinned and we cannot do anything to repay him because he is holy. He hates sin and cannot be with sin. God is passionate for his people to be holy. And we can see that in other verses throughout scripture, uh, like Leviticus 11, uh, 44, and 1 Peter 1.16. But try as we might, regardless of how many people we help, how much we go to church, how much we give, how much we serve, or the amount of hot coals we place on our lips, it's not going to make us any more holy. We have sinned against a holy God, a perfect God, and our punishment is death, and we cannot pay any amount of anything to fix that. And so this truth is clearly revealed of God and of his character and his word. Uh, But God's holiness can often also be a stumbling block for people. It causes them to question God. How can he punish? How can he judge and allow people to suffer uh, and his people to go into exile if he is such a loving God? But without seeing how this passage fits into the scripture as a whole and ultimately points us to Christ, we can easily take God's character out of context. We can take his holiness out of context by bringing in our own thoughts and feelings into how we read and accept the truth of the Bible. It undermines God's character and Jesus' work on the cross. And it leads our theology of how we do church in all the different aspects uh, in a wrong manner. And so this is why biblical theology is so vital for us to be a healthy church. So hopefully this helps us see why biblical theology, uh, what biblical theology is, um, and a little bit of how and why it's important. So with this understanding, we can see that biblical theology is not just for not just for the pastor, uh, but for the church to rest on the biblical truth that God has revealed about himself in his word uh, through pointing all of scripture to Christ. It is seeing scripture as God's truth. 
is concerning today that people believe to be true simply what they desire to be true. Uh, We can see that in our world uh, in countless different ways. Long-held biblical beliefs about everything from the nature of God to morality have been reshaped and become unimportant. All in the name of making Christianity more relevant uh, and more acceptable to others. But if we start to lose the Bible, if we start to lose that truth of God and how he's revealed himself, uh, we lose how God intended for him to be revealed to us. And ultimately, in the redemption through Jesus Christ, this changes how we do church. If we see the Bible as God breathes that truth that reveals his character and nature as it points to Christ, it helps us to properly have this truth produce the right fruits in areas of all of our church and lives. Some of these areas include evangelism. Um, If we're missing the main point of Scripture, it produces a false gospel and a false understanding of the church's mission. Someone who does not know God needs to hear the true gospel revealed to us in Scripture. Um, Pastor Nate did a full sermon on the gospel just last week. Uh, The one and only God who is holy made us in His image to know Him. We sinned and cut ourselves off from Him But in his love, God became man in Jesus, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law and taking on himself the punishment for the sins of all those who would ever turn and trust in him. He rose again from the dead, showing God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us has been satisfied, just like we sang. He ascended and presented his completed work to his Heavenly Father, and he sends his Spirit to call us through this message to repent our sins and trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. If we repent of our sins and have faith in Christ, we are born again into a new life and an eternal life with God. That is the amazing gospel of our God. But do you see how God's holiness, how his love, his justice, his sovereignty, all that comes together in Christ? And reveals to us who God is. And in turn helps us to truly understand uh, who God is. And to understand the gospel and the mission as a church. Right? That in God's holiness, we begin to see our unholiness. We begin to see our sin. That we need to be saved by someone. For God is just, and he also promises to thwart evil, right? God, we see God's justice in that. To end evil once and for all. Uh, but the issue is, is that that includes us, for we have sinned against him. But out of his love, he came to earth in Jesus Christ. Lived perfectly and bore God's wrath against our sin on himself. <clears throat> and out of his sovereign hand, his spirit calls our wayward hearts to himself to repent of our sins and believe and rely on Christ alone. We can see that whole picture of God's character revealed in Christ. We can also see that character of God throughout Scripture because each Scripture points us to, that, to Christ. So how then does this gospel get twisted? By not coming to the Bible with biblical theology in mind, by seeing the verses on their own, and by not taking the Bible actually reveals about who God is, Uh, and is fulfilled in Christ. Instead, we bring in our own feelings and desires and wants, um, our own needs and emotions, to let Scripture support that instead. The gospel can be tainted. 
And we can see how that plays out uh, in something called the prosperity gospel. That coming to faith uh, instead just leads to a means of worldly gain and blessing from God. Instead of magnifying who he is and what he has done, it is a selfish view of getting the good life and manipulating people into thinking that if they simply have faith uh, and our righteous God, if they simply have faith, our righteous God will heal them, will bless them, will give them what their hearts desire. <clears throat> it denounces God's judgment and undermines God's love. If we don't see our issue of sin, then we don't see our need for a Savior. We don't see a need for God's love. And so ultimately, God's goal is not to make us rich in life, but to reconcile us to himself. Our hardships on this earth is not sickness. It's not, <clears throat> uh, it's not to uh, be rich. It's not to have more. It's that we are in need of a God to save us because we are on a path to eternal death. And so when we see that rightly, and we see that played out throughout all of Scripture, we can come and share the gospel, the true gospel, with those in our community, with those that God brings us to uh, all around the world. And we already know that the gospel is supposed to be central in a healthy church, but biblical theology helps us to understand the right and true gospel. That our mission is to be disciples and make disciples of Jesus Christ, sharing the good news of the gospel revealed in Scripture, to truly know God and baptize those and teach them all that God has commanded. It is the great commission that Jesus left his disciples with and has continued on throughout history. Biblical theology also affects how we disciple, how we teach in the church. Uh, Jesus prayed himself to sanctify them in truth, that uh, God's word is truth. We see that in John 17, 17. That Christians grow by learning and living in the light of truth. In other words, by sound doctrine, by what God reveals of himself in his word. It is by living the truth of scripture in Jesus Christ that we come to the light of truth and uh, through reading the scripture that we grow as followers of Christ. If we don't see it that way, then we undermine God's work in our life. We undermine God's sovereignty in our life. That without him, we are not going to grow in Christ. We need Christ in our life. We need God's sovereignty hand in our life. So Jesus is the key to understanding Scripture and growing in our relationship with God. Uh, if we don't see that, then we miss the point and we teach, our, uh, and we teach others the same. But scripture should always be the first place we go to in teaching and guiding and correcting and disciplining. And we saw that before in 2 Timothy. Uh, I was convicted of this a couple of years back in my own life. Um, when I came across different struggles in my life, different hardships, uh, or situations, um, at one point there was a question that came to my head, where do I go to first? Am I going to Scripture? Uh, and am I going to Scripture in the right way? Or am I just trying to get advice from a friend? Or am I just sitting on my own understanding, my own thoughts, and my own feelings of the situation and acting out of that? When we're looking for guidance, when we're looking for teaching, when we're looking for correction, we need to be looking to God's word and how he reveals himself and his character in Jesus Christ. Scripture is how we to be equipped and competent for every good work that God calls us to by pointing us to Christ every time we read it. 
If we think that we can grow as Christians without God, without his truth, then it shows a big misunderstanding of God's character, his holiness, his sovereignty, and of Christ, and of the Bible. And it is, we have to understand that it's God that grows us. <clears throat> Another important aspect that biblical theology touches upon is unity as a church. According to the New Testament, the only true unity is unity in the truth. We see that in 1 John uh, 1, 1 to 4, and 2 John 10 uh, to 11. If we are a church without biblical theology, without allowing Scripture to reveal to us who God is, um, to not see how the little stories all fit in the big picture of pointing to the redemption of God's people in Christ Jesus, then what truth are we standing upon as a church? What is unifying us? <clears throat> how are we to be the body of Christ without Christ as a head if we don't allow God to unify us through the truth of Christ and his word? How do we understand God's purpose and mission for his church if we are more concerned about our own personal church coming to fruition? This is God's church, God's people, and he has already established it in his word. And so we need to be unified by his truth of how he reveals himself in scripture. That is how we come together to live rightly with one another as God has called us to. To represent him as his body, as his church here on earth. <clears throat> Lastly, it touches upon how we worship God. To worship God is to declare his excellencies and to exalt him because of who he is. True worship is a response to true understanding of who he is. If we don't know him, how can we praise him for who he is? Without a right understanding of God, our worship uh, and our worship, how can we truly worship him? Instead, our worship becomes tainted. We begin to lose sight of what worship really is. It is loving and adoring God with our lives through self-sacrifice to his will and understanding by living out of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When God is revealed through scripture of who he truly is, that he's creator, that he is holy, that he is just and loving and sovereign, and how that all culminates in Christ, how can we respond any other way except to worship him? It's not just about the music, it's not just about coming to church, it's not just about uh, the communion, it's not uh, just about being with each other. These are all part of this big picture of worshiping God. It's not a one day a week thing, it's a daily way of living for God to worship him with all of our life, all of our heart, all of our body, all of our soul and all of our mind, loving him. And when we have that, these other things, how we worship him in song, how we worship him in reading of the word and seeing him in that, how we worship him in our giving, it all comes out of that way of life that we live, that worship is a way of life. Romans 12.2 shows us that uh, in verses 1 and 2, as it says, in the light of God's mercy, we are to be living sacrifice, a sacrifice um, to sacrifice ourselves while still being here on this earth, while still being alive. <clears throat> that this is our true worship to God, but all because he first moved in Jesus Christ and we respond the only way we can, which is through worship, which is through praise and glorifying him with our whole lives. And so all of scripture points to Christ, showing us God and understanding his nature and leading us to repent and believe and live glorifying him. 
So these are just a few areas that I touch upon, but uh, I hope you can see how it affects everything that we do as a church. Um, and now that we can kind of see the importance and understanding of biblical theology, you might still be asking, how do we actually begin to do this then? Uh, I would first start off with a prayer as you begin to go into God's Word, praying that God would fill you with His truth and understanding of how He's revealed Himself, to not come with your own notions or thoughts on who He is, and instead to reveal to you Himself through the amazing gospel of Christ Jesus, that His kingdom will come, that His will be done, and not our own. And then as you're reading a, couple, uh, as you're reading a, a certain passage or uh, doing your daily devotions, uh, there's a couple questions and areas that you can look at to help guide you. And these are tools and steps that can help you see how Christ is revealed in all of Scripture as God intended so that we may come to know Him truthfully as He's revealed Himself. And so the first one is, is looking at context. So looking at the passage um, and where it fits in in the whole of Scripture, where it fits in uh, within even just that small passage, the verses before, the verses after, um, but also looking at uh, historically, who was the, who's the main audience that the author was writing to, and who was the author? <clears throat> what was the main point, and what was intended for the for, uh, main meaning for what uh, the author was telling this audience? When the plain meaning uh, is abandoned, the interpretation can become anything that anyone wants, right? Uh, <clears throat> and so looking at what comes before and after gives us a better understanding of what, uh, what is happening within this passage. We don't just the text, because this helps us to see the Bible as a whole story, which moves us into the next thing, which is canon, and looking at how this scripture fits into the rest of the story. Uh, connections that you can make from this passage into other passages. We need to look at connections to other scriptures, which will allow us again to see the Bible as the one story pointing to Christ. It allows us to see where our scripture is in the story, how it connects to other parts, and how it points to Christ. Looking at themes and prophecies and promises that God has made in the Old Testament that are being fulfilled later on in the New Testament seeing the theme of God's kingdom being played out, of him redeeming his people back to himself. <clears throat> so after context and then canon, ask this question of this character of God. What does this say about God and his character? Because our God does not change. And he continues to reveal himself uh, throughout scripture. And so what does this passage reveal about God? What attributes does it highlight? What does it teach us about Christ and how God points us to Christ in that? Take note and be in awe of, how, of who God is and how he reveals himself to us. And then lastly, looking at Christ. How does this relate to the person and work of Christ? What does it reveal about his life and his work? And how does it point us forward to Christ and anticipate his return? How does the gospel affect our understanding of this text that we are looking at? <clears throat> and so by using some of these guidelines, it helps us to focus on the main uh, purpose of what God is revealing himself in the, all of Scripture, and that is to point us to Christ each and every time. And let's go back to uh, that passage in Isaiah 6 that we looked at. 
Uh, and I just want to walk us through quickly of what biblical theology looks like as we look into it. So let's look at the context of Isaiah 6. So Isaiah was a prophet commissioned by God. And this chapter was a vision he was, uh, that he was having the leading, that was leading into his commission to be a prophet of God. Uh, Isaiah's prophecy was towards the kings of Jerusalem and Judah, telling of judgment because of Israel's rebellion. So it's not a prophecy to us. It's a prophecy to Israel. But he also has a prophecy later on of the hope that God will fulfill his covenant promises to his people. So these aren't prophecies to us, but to God's people. And so this context is important. It's a warning of judgment culminating to an exile for his people, but ending in promise of the fulfillment uh, of the promises and covenants that God has made, ultimately pointing to the coming Messiah, to Christ. And so, this is the process of God redeeming his people back to himself. And so that gives us a bit of context as we look at what's happening in this specific passage compared to the rest of the book of Isaiah and uh, looking at uh, the story as a whole, where it fits in. Then looking at the canon of how it connects to other uh, scriptures in the Bible, uh, it points a lot, prophecy points a lot to the fulfillment of Christ and the promises that God has made to his people before so this points to past covenants being promised of the future king in the line of David that we see in 2 Samuel. Uh, it points to the promise that, and covenant that God made with his people in Exodus, uh, in Exodus 19, that he will lead Israel in obedience. And it also goes back to the blessings and salvations to all nations that God promised to Abraham in Genesis 12. <clears throat> And so it, has, it points us to these promises that God is making, that he keeps his promises to his people and that it will be fulfilled uh, <clears throat> in Christ Jesus. So we've looked at uh, context, we've looked at canon, and now let's look at how this reveal, what this reveals of God's character. This shows us God's holiness and judgment, his passion for holiness and evil to be ended. Uh, And that does create this tension because we are part of that evil and sin. However, we can also see his compassion and love uh, and his desire to purify his people. Right? We can't just end on that holiness uh, and that judgment. Uh, If we uh, do, then we have a wrong understanding of of God's character as a whole. So we have to look at his compassion and love uh, for his people that they can be redeemed back to him. And that points to the promised seed from the stump that we see at the end of, chap- of chapter 6, that Christ is fulfilling that promise of ancient scriptures in his death on the cross and resurrection. <clears throat> and so we can see these characters of God, and it points us to Christ, that God's holiness shows us our need for a Savior. And this passage pointed Isaiah for his own need to be purified, where he thought that he would be destroyed by being in the presence of God instead of God's uh, Instead, God purified him by the hot coal or stone which came off the altar. It points to this eventual purifying work of Christ to make us holy before God. The promised Messiah that would do what Israel could not and what no one could. Yet God kept his promises and through faith in Christ, we, become, we can become God's true redeemed people. 
So this is a very quick example of how biblical theology comes into play every time we read God's Word. You can see how when we do that and we look at it in, uh, with the guide of biblical theology, how this chapter uh, that we looked at completely changes our perspective of how we see God and how we see Scripture. And this will obviously take time and practice, but reading the Bible in this way is of vital importance if we are to understand God and how he's revealed himself to us in Scripture by pointing us to Christ. So I encourage you to study, to practice, and then to teach this way of reading the Bible. But this is how we are to come to God's Word every time, to see how he's revealed himself and how he is pointing to Christ every time, to understand that God's beliefs are not oppressing. In fact, they are liberating to us. When converted, we are called out of our own control of our lives and our will, is desi- our will desires to follow God's will as we allow him to sit on the throne of our lives as the true king. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us by your word. That we can truly come to know you by seeing your character played out in the Bible and all these different uh, stories of how you continue to redeem your people and bring them to yourself, and not just Israel, but uh, in all nations, God, Jew and Gentile. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, that that is what scripture is pointing us to, to the work and salvation that comes through Christ. Help us to not come to your word with our own intentions, with our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own emotions and desires, but to uh, come to it seeking your will and your heart uh, for what you have revealed already in your word. Help us to become a healthy church that has has biblical theology, uh, continue to uh, work in us and guide us in how we live and worship you. Uh, thank you that we have this opportunity to come together and to uh, dig into your word and to learn more about you, God. I pray that this brings us closer to you to truly understand uh, what you have done for us and who you are. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.